0: As I read this morning's scripture, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul declares to us here, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus as he had begun so he would complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, See that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, But now you must also complete the doing of it, as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. And Father, we humbly ask as we move through this portion of the Word of God, that every intent and purpose behind why your Holy Spirit inspired and gave to us this portion of your word and these truths, that they would find their proper place in our heart presently today as your people. Lord, we ask that you would prepare us, give us an ear to hear what your spirit would say this morning. Again, we don't want wise or persuasive words of a man to be heard, but to experience the demonstration of your spirit and your power speaking and telling us things that we need to hear that would benefit us. So, Lord, speak now through what you've spoken. By your Spirit's ministry, we ask together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, even as a part of the training process of a child who, if you haven't noticed, first words tend to usually be mine, right, those are very common first words with children, mine or no, one or the other. Usually they hit one of those two. But often it is mine, we hear that, and teaching them that the world is about more than just them and their wants and their desires and their needs and that they need to overcome that selfishness and learn to share and think about others. That same process of development seems to kind of just be something that we all continue to keep learning all the way through our lives. Learning the importance of things like sharing and generosity and giving, and especially all the more as God's children. And we're going to see in this next section we go through together, chapters 8 and chapter 9 deal with this subject of Christian generosity, or Christian sharing, or Christian giving. And the background of what Paul's talking about is important because it helps by way of context to really set the stage and understand best what Paul is actually talking about in these particular verses. You notice that when we were reading this morning there in verse 4, Paul made mention of this gift of the ministering of the saints. So he talked particularly about this particular gift that was going to be given that would minister to help particular saints or believers. Now, other places in the Bible, this same financial gift that Paul wanted to collect and then deliver or distribute to a particular group of saints is described elsewhere in the New Testament. It was to assist predominantly a group of Jewish Christians who mainly made up the church there in Jerusalem who were going through very hard times financially. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, referring to this same thing he's talking about in these chapters, Romans 15, Paul says there, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Decai were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. See, we know that historically many in the Jerusalem church who were predominantly Jewish people, there were Gentiles there too, no doubt, but the majority of the Jerusalem church were, were Jewish people who had come to trust in Jesus as their Messiah. And they were enduring a hard time economically, going through a hardship, predominantly due to two things, one being persecution as a result of their leaving Judaism and the ways of Judaism and turning now to follow this man, Jesus of Nazareth, believing him to be the Messiah and the Savior, many of them, as the result of that at great cost, were abandoned by their own families. They were banished by the society as they left Judaism to become followers of Christ. Many of them lost their jobs as the result of their beliefs. Many of them were unable to even find jobs because of the beliefs that they now held in Christ as his follower. Others were unable as well to do things like even purchase food. They were being refused the opportunity to be served in the marketplaces because they didn't meet what the society felt was the right criteria to serve such people. They were being shunned and ostracized because of their commitment to Christ and because of the beliefs that they held. And then on top of that, we know historically a severe famine struck the area of Judea, which was where Jerusalem, of course, was. And that famine, of course, caused great economic struggles and poverty and hardship as there were lack of resources available. So this caused the season of severe financial hardship upon those who were part of the Jerusalem church. And Paul, becoming aware of these things, had it on his heart to want to do what he could to help them in the midst of this time of struggle and need. And so Paul had this idea that what he felt would be a blessing was to gather a love offering of financial help amongst the Gentile churches that he had planted and established many of them and that they could gather this financial contribution and then deliver it to their brothers and sisters in Christ there at the Jerusalem church who were particularly going through a very hard time economically due to the situation upon them and he felt this offering could also be a beautiful illustration of their unity in Christ that it didn't matter whether they were Jew and Gentile, there was great ethnic and racial tension typically between Jews and Gentiles, that they were now one in the family of God, and he thought this would be a great unifying thing, as well as it was just a great way for the body of Christ to show their love in caring for one another as a particular group of them were going through a time of real economic hardship. And Paul had been speaking about this collection and this gift that he wanted to take to then deliver to the saints there in Jerusalem through many of the various Gentile churches. And when he first spoke about this about a year or so ago to the Corinthian church, when they heard what Paul's intention was, the Corinthian church said, count us in. That's a great idea. We would love to do that. If there's some way we can help the suffering believers there in the church in Jerusalem, we would absolutely love to help. And they indicated they planned to participate in this particular project to help God's people in this way in hardship. And Paul had already given the Corinthians instructions how they were to then participate in doing that. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul literally gave instructions to them how to go about this project that he wanted to do first corinthians 16 if i can remind you he said now about the collection for the lord's people do what i told the galatian churches to do on the first day of every week each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up he said, so that when i come collections won't have to be made paul said i don't want to make money the emphasis when i arrive to visit So he said, set the money aside so we don't have to focus on that when I come. And then when I arrive, he said, I will give the letters of introduction to men you approve, and we will send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, then he says they can accompany me. So it appears that enthusiastically, The church at Corinth, as many of these other churches, they started collecting these resources, setting aside some money when they first heard about this, but then something transpired to where they got distracted. We're not told what it was, but something happened, and then they stopped this collection process, and they kind of failed to follow through. They didn't close the loop on their original intention and desire to help in this way, and now a year has gone by, And they've not acted upon what they said they wanted to and what they began to do in their promise, nor have they followed through with this commitment and were kind of dragging their feet with this financial donation. So Paul now writes in this section in 2 Corinthians some advice and guidance to them to sort of encourage them of the importance of generosity and following through with this thing that was once upon their heart that they kind of got distracted from. This grace of giving and helping out as a form of ministry. And he kind of reminds them it is one thing to speak about doing something. It's another thing to actually do it. It's one thing to speak about giving and that you want to give or think you should give. And it's another thing to actually do it. And Chapters 8 and 9 in Second Corinthians give to us the longest section in the New Testament on the subject of giving. Now, granted, the direct context is in regards to giving to a special ministry project, particularly to help a group of people in financial hardship and some work of God that would take place through that to help fellow believers. Yet, nonetheless, it still supplies to all of us wonderful spiritual principles from the Holy Spirit on giving as Christians that we can glean from, that we can apply to our lives, that we can use in wisdom to exercise in the various ways that we would give to the Lord's work or to the Lord's people or to some opportunity if it sets itself in front of us where we in compassion say, hey, I wanna help in the midst of this particular hardship someone's in. So Paul says, verse one, with that backdrop, moreover, brethren, he says, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So Paul's first approach, we're going to see, he's going to try and stir them to action by giving to them this wonderful example of the Macedonian churches. Now when Paul talks about those in the area of Macedonia, he's referring to the Christians in the churches of like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, the churches in that particular area. And he talks about, verse 1, the grace of God that had been bestowed upon the Christians in those churches. And when he talks about the grace of God bestowed upon them, what he's describing there is God's supernatural favor given to them, to give them a supernatural grace and favor to do something particular, a special enablement. The idea here of the grace of God bestowed upon them could also picture how their lives were made beautiful in this way by what God enabled and led them to do. The Bible speaks of how at times we are all as Christians on occasion given a measure of grace, supernatural help from God to do things, whether it's serving or to bless others. Romans chapter 12, verse six says, having differing gifts according to, to the grace given to us, let us use them. So here when Paul talks about this grace bestowed upon the Macedonian Christians, here he's talking about this grace in relation to a grace supplied from God to be giving. A grace supplied to these churches in Macedonia to be generous and to share, to help in the grace of giving. Now, Why is that important? Because by nature, I know from my life and all of your lives and everybody else I know as people, by nature, we are very selfish. We are very stingy. By nature, sharing is not normal to us automatically. So because of that, in order for us to become giving, to become sharing, to become generous, it requires a work of God's grace to change my heart. <laughs> it requires a work of grace in the heart of every person to some degree to be a little less selfish, a little more giving, and especially to actually become generous. As Paul's going to talk about these churches, he's going to say they were super generous. I mean, he's kind of holding them up as an example and he's saying, "Man, it was the grace of God bestowed upon them made them so giving. It made them so generous and and helpful in the way they made an offering to assist the people there in Jerusalem. And again, this is a great example, and I believe something God wants to bestow as a grace in all of our lives. And this is why Paul's encouraging the Corinthians by this example. So he begins to describe how this grace bestowed upon them became evident as he goes on in verse 2. He says, the grace was bestowed upon them, verse 2, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and out of their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or free giving or generosity. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, Paul says, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us, begging us, that with much urgency we would receive this gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So Paul describes how they were freely giving, despite their own time, notice, of present difficulty and enduring hardship. He notes here in our verses how they themselves, the Macedonians, who had just given so generously, he describes here in these verses how they themselves were enduring a time, he says, of deep poverty. Deep poverty. Not just poverty, but, but he uses the, the term deep poverty. In other words, Paul's trying to indicate Those Macedonian churches who gave the gift that they did, they were undergoing their own experience of severe financial lack themselves. In the time that they did this, Paul says, they were struggling just to take care of their own financial needs. Now, when he uses the language here, deep poverty, what he's describing is they were under tremendous financial pressure and lack of resources. We might say things like they were dirt poor or they were struggling to pay their own bills. They barely had enough to get by themselves financially, and if that weren't enough, they were enduring a time of deep poverty. Paul also says they also were enduring a time of a great, verse 2, he says, trial of affliction. So they were in deep poverty, and they were undergoing some tremendous affliction. Affliction just speaks of severe suffering. So they had their own hardships personally. The idea is they were going through their own difficult season in life. They were suffering painful things themselves and and were going through a time when they were hurting. And yet notice Paul's trying to point out amidst their great suffering and despite their own deep poverty, instead of making excuses and self-preservation why they couldn't give or they couldn't help or they weren't able to do anything, Paul is so impressed. He says instead, verse 2, he says, In their abundance of joy and out of their deep poverty abounded the riches of liberality. And Paul was just blown away and so impressed by their graciousness and their sharing and generosity. Paul says their personal experience of poverty and hardship, it didn't hinder them. In fact, he says it actually was like the thing that caused them to, to want to be more helpful. And I think what Paul's trying to indicate here and bring to the service is their own poverty and their own problems gave them tremendous compassion to want to help other people that were hurting. And it was their own hardship they experienced that they knew what it was like to suffer. And because they knew what it was like to suffer, because they knew what it was like to struggle and to deal with hardship, that's what gave them a heart. To want to help other people around them when they saw them in hardship. It was the very thing that softened their heart, their own pain, their own problems, their own struggles, because suffering times of hardship ourselves is often what tends to make us much more sensitive to the concern for other people that are hurting around us. Instead of being hard-hearted and oblivious, typically it makes us more willing to help because we know what it's like to struggle. Or we understand what it feels like to go through pain or to have lack. And typically those who've gone through the most tend to be those who are most sensitive to helping other struggling people. Typically those who've gone through hardship are more prone to be compassionate. And despite the fact that they could hardly get by themselves and seem to have little to give, Paul says in verse 3, they still help so generously. He says, I bear witness, verse 3, that according to their ability, and then Paul says, in fact, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, that is, they were freely willing to still share. And, and again, what this reminds us of is we realize that giving is about a hard attitude. It has nothing to do with amounts of money. Some can give, listen folks, some people can give financial resources and it doesn't cost them anything right. because they have so much excess it's really not even meaningful. It could be for some just a tax write-off for their business. <laughs> it makes their end work out better, or to some degree, you know, somebody can give a, a large sum of money, but in comparison to the resources they have, it, it really doesn't even phase them. So it's not about the dollar amounts at the end of the day. It's about how we go about doing what we're doing. And this is what Paul is drawing attention to, because others can give, and it stems from sincere compassion and love, and they do it because it pleases God. And it actually costs them something to do it. It costs them something personally. And this is where the true heart from God's perspective really matters most. Jesus revealed that, that it's not how much we give, but how we go about it that matters. When he talked about the, the widow in Mark chapter 12. Jesus spoke of this story. He said, Jesus sat opposite the treasury. So he was watching the temple treasury and he saw how the people put money into the treasury box. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. The idea is something like a fraction of a few cents. The idea would be some poor widow comes up, throws in her two mites, which makes a quadrants. And Jesus called his disciples to himself. And he didn't say, hey, did you see the check that guy put in there? Jesus called the disciples over for their lesson now, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. That is combined that day. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she put in out of her poverty, she put in all she had, her whole livelihood. And Jesus was pointing out it wasn't the amount. It was the heart behind it. It actually That was her livelihood. She may not get dinner that night, Jesus is saying, but she did that out of love for God and love for what that money could be used for. And Jesus was more impressed with the heart. And this is the same thing that Paul's pointing out, bearing witness to the Macedonians, that at the hardest time, they still help so generously and willingly and Paul, you almost sense here that he felt compelled to almost like like stop them. You get the sense in the verses that Paul, no doubt, was looking at their situation. They're in deep poverty. They're going through affliction. And you have to wonder, I believe, if Paul was saying to them, look, no way. I can't take this from you guys right now. You're struggling to get by yourself. I mean, you're in the midst of deep poverty and hard affliction. It's just not right. I mean, others will give you. you please, you, please don't do this. I can't take that from you because look what Paul tells us in verse four, but they were imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift for the fellowship and ministering to the saints. In other words, Paul perhaps was saying, look, I I can't take this. You, You guys are struggling yourselves. And it seems they started urging Paul saying to him, Paul, listen, we're begging you. Let us participate. We know what it's like to struggle, right? We're in deep poverty. We know what it's like to struggle. We know what it's like to go through hard times. Please don't rob us from the opportunity. We want to be involved in this. We want to help our fellow brothers and sisters that are going through a very hard time themselves. I look at this here. They're they're urging Paul, please receive this. And I think to myself, boy, what a total reversal of what we see in a lot of the madness of, churches in Christianity. Paul, as their spiritual leader, is not begging them to give. They're begging Paul to give. Isn't that kind of backwards? (laughs) Paul's not saying, please give, please give. They're saying, Paul, listen, please take this from us. Don't rot. We want to help those hurting people. We want to do something to participate. I mean, what a beautiful example. And the reason they had the grace to do that, Paul says, verse five, not only, he said, as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves. Notice they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So the reason these Macedonians were so giving out of their tough situation is Paul says they had completely given first their own lives over to the Lord. And what Paul is reminding us here is this is where it must start. They had surrendered every area of their whole life over to Jesus. And because they had surrendered their life to Jesus's lordship, they were in a place in their thinking where their mindset was, Lord, I belong to you. You purchased me. Not one area of my life is my own anymore. I have no right over myself Everything about me in my life is all yours. And see, because their heart was in that place where they felt they were just stewards of everything that belonged to the Lord and they were fully dedicated in their heart to the Lord. They let go of all of their rights and it made it therefore much easier and more natural to let go of their right over any money that was in their hand because their mindset was, Lord, everything belongs to you, and that just made it all the more natural to be willing to just simply say, Lord, if it's your will to do this, to help these people, to utilize these resources, to bless those in hardship, Lord, if it's your will, we just simply want to obey. So Paul says, verse 6, so we urge then Titus that as he had began, he would then complete this grace in you as well. So Paul sets before them this inspiring example. And then he says, in light of this, he now starts to address their response in Corinth. He says, this is why we urge Titus, he says, that as he began this collection process among all the Gentile churches, that he would now come there and complete this process with you there at Corinth in the same way he had at the other churches. Verse 7, he says, but as you abound in everything, and now Paul commends them in Corinth, he says, you abound in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence or hard work, and in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace. Again, he's talking about the grace of giving. See that you also abound in this grace as well. So Paul reminds them they were indeed a very gifted church, They had experienced the grace of God there at the church in Corinth in many different ways. God had bestowed grace upon them as well. Paul describes here in verse 7 how they had experienced supernatural grace by the Holy Spirit and that many were able to exercise great faith, the gift of faith, one of the gifts of the Spirit we saw in 1 Corinthians as we went through the gifts of the Spirit there. The gift of faith is the ability to believe God to do miraculous things. It is a supernatural measure of faith imparted to the heart of the spirit of a believer by grace to say, God, in an unusual way, I believe you're going to do something unusual. And I have confidence, Lord. And the gift of faith is truly not just faith generally, which we all should have. It's a supernatural measure of faith. That the Spirit imparts into a person's heart to pray with believing earnestness and to believe God will do something incredible. And Paul says, You've experienced that. You've believed God for great things and you've seen Him do incredible things. Others of you says you have grace to speak and to communicate, to teach, to to speak words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Other of you serve faithfully because of the grace imparted to you. And Paul says here, listen, all I'm asking is even as you've excelled in all these other graces, he says in the same way, excel in this grace of giving as well. Let this grace be something that you're open to as well. Don't overlook the beautiful grace of being givers under the Lord. Now, this was especially important for the church at Corinth for a particular reason. Because the church at Corinth, in comparison to the churches in Macedonia, knew there was a distinction between the Macedonian churches and their church there. And that was very simply this. The Macedonian churches lived just even generally at a way lower level economically. Not only were they struggling and in deep poverty at this time, but we know historically the Macedonian area typically tended to be an area where people lived at a way lower level economically, financially. Poverty was much more common in those regions. Now, where's the Corinthian church at? The Corinthian church is located in the area of Achaiai a different region. And the area of Achaia where Corinthian church was was a region which was much more affluent and well to do. It just was an area geographically where typically cities and people like the city of Corinth lived at a much higher standard of living financially and therefore Paul the more is kind of holding them to account saying look there's no real excuse. While in this affluent area and you there in the church of Corinth who tend to be much better off economically with greater capability should not exercise the grace of giving if people in the area of Macedonia are doing such. And Paul's bringing this to their attention, I think, to remind us as well of a spiritual principle that to be wealthy as one of God's people is not wrong. And God help us that we not demonize the rich or think there's something unspiritual about being rich and more spiritual about being poor. The Bible teaches nothing of that. There are many godly people who love the Lord that are endowed with wealth in the word of God. And there are many people who love the Lord who are in poverty. That's not the issue. The Bible simply says it's the love of money that becomes the root of all evil. And so someone can love the Lord, and and the Bible says that God is the one who gives power to create wealth, and as God's people, it is not wrong to be wealthy, but it is a stewardship. And that's the important part, to realize that if one is blessed in such a way to have excess to any degree, it is something to be managed as God intends it to be managed. To realize it is a blessing, and it is an additional stewardship entrusted That that blessing of having extra in relativity to others. In fact, 1 Timothy 6, Paul gives specific instructions by the Spirit to those who were wealthy there in the church at Ephesus. And Paul particularly leads Timothy by the Spirit to give particular instructions to those who were wealthy in the church, which means what? There were some poor, some moderate, and there were some wealthy in the church. And and Paul says this, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope or trust, the idea is, in wealth, which is so uncertain, and boy, that's true in these days, right? But to put their trust in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures of a firm foundation in the coming age. So Paul simply says, look, if you've been endowed with wealth as one of God's people, he says, just realize it's a stewardship. God's given you that excess because he's trusted you to manage it. So manage it in a way with a gracious, generous, open hand. Look at it as a tool that you can use to help people in a way that perhaps others can at times and here's what's what's sad, and I'll tell you, and you can do your own research, but studies show, and this isn't just in the body of Christ, this is generally in the world too, but it is true within the body of Christ as well, studies show that typically those who live at a lower economic status tend to give more consistently and more generously in relative proportion to their income. As comparison to those who live at a higher economic status. Now, there's something very backward about that, isn't there? <laughs> but that just again goes to show you the problem of the human heart. That that studies show that both in the world and in the church, those possessing wealth are typically less prone to be as generous consistently and in proportion to their own income and to their wealth in relativity. Where those with less and who live at lower levels financially tend to give more routinely, and they can, tend to give more in proportion at a higher level of their income, even living at a lower standard. See, so it's important to remember is the very purpose of work and God's ability for us to work or to acquire money in any way, the Bible teaches is not just, listen, it's not just to pay our bills responsibly. That's numero uno, and if you're not doing that, start there. That is numero uno. You work to pay your bills. That's why you work, so that somebody else isn't paying your bills. But we don't just make money and work to pay our bills. We also, the Bible teaches, should realize there is a higher purpose than just taking the rest after we pay our bills for just self-indulgence or buying bigger toys or, or getting a you know, higher status of life and enjoying life a little bit more. Ephesians 4 says this, Anyone who has been stealing, that means selfishly taking what's not yours or you didn't earn. If anyone's stealing, you must steal no longer, but must, the Bible says, work. Then it says, doing something useful with your own hands that you may have something to share with those in need. See, the Bible elevates work. The Bible says we don't just work and acquire money responsibly just to responsibly take care of ourselves and bear our own load. But that we also, after doing that, can have a tool in our hands to look for opportunities here and there to bless somebody, to be kind to somebody, right? We just went out to breakfast with a brother recently and and just looking around a restaurant and realizing, I mean, this is like there's hardly anybody in these restaurants anymore. And praise God, you know, one or two waitresses at least still show up and are willing to work. And and how can you in a situation like not want to say, I'm just going to tip a little bit higher here? Because this lady's actually coming out and working still, at least. And there's hardly anybody in these restaurants. And again, just to, to, in these simple ways, I'm not talking about always grandiose things, but just to say, you know, just a few extra bucks to be a little extra generous here. And, and God says, look, there's a higher reason for acquiring money and making money that we can be gracious and generous. And, and Paul wanted them to see this. So he says, verse 8, I speak to you, notice, not by commandment. I'm not I'm not demanding anything or commanding something. He says, I'm just testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. That is the diligence of the Macedonians who were way less in a good economic position than they were. So Paul clarifies, look, I'm not commanding you have to give. In fact, the next chapter, he's going to specifically say that you should give out of a willing spirit. And if you don't, it's kind of worthless. So Paul says, look, I'm not demanding you have to do this. I'm not requiring some set amount of money even that you have to give. He says, I'm just testing your heart to see where you're at and to let you see for yourself by holding before you the beautiful example of the Macedonian churches and their diligence to help out the poor people there in the church in Jerusalem. And he says, I want to give you a chance to kind of just do a heart check, see where you're at. And I think this is a good reminder for all of us because how we all handle the money that's been entrusted to us by the Lord is a great indication many times of just kind of testing where our heart's at in some ways. It lets us see some things about ourselves. Look what Paul then goes on to say, verse nine, for you know the grace, he says, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What a beautiful example of the pattern of the greatest giving, sharing, generosity, sacrificial devotion we could ever have the work of our Lord Jesus. I mean, verse 9, there is the gospel right there in what's described. How interesting, that verse, so beautiful. I mean, you could preach a sermon on itself it portrays the gospel of jesus giving away his life in order to give abundant rich eternal life and blessings to us eternally in what he has done for us but paul by the spirit displays jesus in this pattern as a gracious act of giving in human history in relation to giving another example here of just being generous and giving like our lord he says you know what our lord was like and that's who we follow paul saying right He says, though he was, verse 9, rich, and what Paul's saying there is, though Jesus lived in the abundance of wealth and luxury, right? He was in heaven, streets of gold, beautiful, brilliance. I mean, the glory of the eternal dimension, the luxury, the abundance, the pleasures. And he says, yet though he was in that rich condition, yet for our sakes, for us, he became poor. Not only did Jesus... Sacrifice and give up all the glory, think about it, of heaven's realm. Imagine what he was living in. And he gave up all the glory of that and he came down many, 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 many levels and conditions to come down to this earth, this fallen ball of dirt with sin and hardship and problems and to take upon himself a human body. And then beyond that, Jesus chose to live, if you study the Gospels, in very humble conditions, right? He, He didn't say, I want to be born in the best hospitals with the greatest GYN team and obstetricians, and and then I want to live in the best, most wealthiest city on the earth. Jesus, when he came to earth to live as a man, not only did he for our sakes become poor, he, he literally did that. Jesus was born, if you look at what happened, in very humble conditions. He lived and was raised in a poor working class family of a common laborer. Jesus was born and then worse, not only in bad conditions, even grew up in a very bad neighborhood. Does anything good come out of Nazareth, the Bible says? The idea is he was born in a rough city. He was born in a, in a, in a place where it was a, a tough environment, in a rough neighborhood. Jesus never even really owned anything. You ever notice whenever Jesus does miracles or teachings, he always borrows stuff? Hey, does anybody have a coin? And then he starts telling a story about a coin. He had to borrow a boat to go out and teach. The guy even had to borrow a tomb for a few days. He owned nothing. Jesus said, I have nowhere to lay my head. Jesus didn't have a permanent house. Jesus honestly, truly lived in abstract poverty to a, to a degree. I mean, he really did not just descend from heaven to earth, but the idea there is, Paul says, he did all this with a purpose. And what was the purpose, Paul said, that we, through his poverty, might become rich, that is, enriched spiritually. And he's displaying what Jesus did. Our Lord gave so that we might be helped, that we could be benefited, that we could be spared, that our lives could be enriched. And to the degree which Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sakes, that we might become rich, it's it's unfathomable to really think it through to really understand the degree he did that. But Paul points this out as a pattern because he's trying to say, look, the spirit of Jesus lives where now? In us. And he's saying, so if that was the heart of our Lord. That same heart of our Lord is trying to live himself out through our life now. So therefore, as the Lord's followers, we should be willing, if the spirit of the Lord is directing us, to set aside, if needed, our own personal wealth from time to time. Or maybe our own personal comforts and to embrace maybe even a lower standard. If it could enrich or help or bless someone else and that we would be willing like Jesus to do the same, to say, Lord, if in so doing, I can enrich another person or I can enrich others spiritually. Listen, folks, what if it's God's will for some of us? What if it's God's calling for some of us from time to time to exchange greater prosperity to fulfill God's higher purposes for ministry? What if it's God's will for some of us to say, yes, I could have that. Yes, I could live like that. But I'll give up living like that because I want to enrich people spiritually. I want to help more people, even as Jesus, this beautiful example. And Paul says, so therefore in this I give advice, verse 10, it's to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but that you must also complete the doing of it, that there was also a readiness to desire it at first, he says, so there also now may be a completion of what you have. So Paul's advising them what they should do, notice, for their own best interest. Paul says, let me give you some advice here. I'm not forcing you. I'm not commanding or demanding. I'm just trying to give you some advice to consider that in the same way he says you wanted to do this initially. When we first told you about this, you said, count us in, and you had a desire to do it. Paul says here it'd be to your advantage now to complete the thing that you had a desire to do a year ago, and you started doing But he says, then you got distracted and you didn't carry it out to completion. Now, he says this in relation to them following through with the giving of the money that they planned to help participate in this donation to help out the poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul wanted them to understand it's one thing to desire to do something. It's another thing to actually do it. It's one thing to start doing something. It's another thing to carry it out to completion. And look, that is true, folks, in any area really of obedience in our Christian life, not just in the area specifically here of giving, whether it's giving money or any area of obedience. If the Lord has shown you to do something and given you a desire to do something, and that desire leads to beginning to do something and starting to obey the Lord in doing something, it's important that you keep at it and we carry it out to completion that we complete and finish it. And he says, it's to our advantage to complete what we desired and began to do. And this is why Paul is trying to encourage them to do this. This is just a Christian maturity thing. Paul's saying here, it's just following through with an act of obedience. Look this morning. Can I ask you by way of application? Is there anything that you sensed that the Lord told you you were supposed to do? And I'm not talking about things where maybe we started doing something and I don't know, maybe the Lord didn't tell me to start doing something. I've done plenty of those. But something that you sincerely believe, maybe the Lord has told you you are supposed to do and you start doing it, but then you stall out or you get distracted or you get derailed and you've left it uncompleted and abandoned what you committed to. Look, if that desire was from the Lord and you started doing it because it was from the Lord and started walking forward, it is important to complete what you started, to finish the thing the Lord gave you a desire for and helped you to begin that you would carry it out. Because the blessing is not knowing what we should do. The blessing is in doing it. Jesus said, John 13, blessed are you if you do these things. And so Paul says to them here, hey, let's complete this. Let's carry it out. And then he says, verse 12, if there's first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has And not according to what one does not have. I don't know. Maybe Paul read their minds that they might say, well, look, Paul, we, you know, we just, we don't have enough. Now we're having our heart. And Paul says, look, it's a willingness issue. Paul says it's not about the resources. It's not about amounts and so forth. He says what matters most is not if we have sufficient ability to do something or the resources, but that we're just willing to do what's right. Because he says if we're just willing to do what's right. God will take care of the rest of the details. I love how Paul says in verse 12, what matters is if there's first a willing mind. He says, you have to want to do it. A willing attitude is all God looks for. That's all really God does require of us, that we be eager and ready with an openness to give something, to do something, to obey the Lord, that there's just a willingness. Because look, at the end of the day, it's it's better to do even a little than to do nothing. Even just to do with a willing mind what you can do. It's not how much you can do. It's just are you willing to do something? Are you willing to some degree? Because the first step is willingness, whether serving, giving, whatever. And once we're willing and we step forward in willingness, guess who takes over? God does. And we say, Lord, I I don't have, but I'm willing. Here I go, Lord. I believe I'm supposed to do this. And I'll step forward in willingness. He says, if there's first a willing mind then what is there is accepted because God honors willingness rather than excuse making or shrinking back from what something we should be doing that the Lord's told us to. Paul says verse 13, "For I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance may supply your lack." that there may be equality, as it's written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, he who gathered little had no lack. So notice Paul's indicating that his intention was simply to see the family of God taking turns, caring for and taking care of one another. Now, when he mentions here in verse 13 and 14, this idea of equality, he's not talking about a forced system of equality like communism or socialism, where select ranking individuals control the population by forcing everyone to live at the exact same level. Whereby in that system, it is not a willingness, it's a forced thing where everybody must live at the same standard. So therefore, some have to give up what they have that's rightfully theirs or rightfully earned. And others don't have to earn or do anything, and they can just have what others have because we all have to be forced to live at the same level. That's not what Paul's describing here. What the spirit of God is describing here is a spirit-led communal love that out of a willing heart that the family of God would want to take care of one another and would see that as an opportunity to serve one another. That we all go through different seasons of prosperity or lack or up and down. And, and Paul says that you would be able as the church to Corinth to say, hey, right now we have excess and they're going through a hard time right now and they're lacking. So maybe we should just share some of what God's blessed us with to help them. And Paul says, and the wonderful thing is this. That's what families do. That, that's what families do. And he's saying, as God's people, this is what we are. We share the same father, we're family. And Paul clarifies, I don't mean that you should be burdened, he says, and that others should be eased. So Paul's clarifying. I'm not saying the Gentile churches should be really giving in the excess of their resources so that the Jerusalem believers can be enriched and that they can have just better, easier lives or they can become lazy and not have to do their own thing. He says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a gift to help these people who are in a time of crisis, Paul's saying. That's what I'm describing. Paul's describing giving them assistance in a time of financial hardship. And Paul then says, now at this time, your abundance, look what he says, your abundance can supply their lack. Right now, you have the ability to help. You're in that season. You can help them. It's a great occasion to show God's love, to share the Lord's resources, And then he describes how equality works. Because see what Paul goes on to say? There may come a time later on where their abundance can then supply your lack. So Paul says, what tends to happen, is it not, is life goes through seasons for all of us. And he says, there may come a time where later on down the road, your suffering lack, where you go through your hardship or your difficulty, and then they'll have the privilege to return the same ministry back to you. And then they can say, hey, Remember when they helped us out? Now we have excess and they're having a hard time. And Paul says, then there could be this beautiful sharing. This way where we just all as God's people show love for one another here. Like a family. This is the picture. Taking care of each other. Everyone having what they need. That's why Paul quotes verse 15. He who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. What Paul's quoting there is from Exodus 16. When the children of Israel would go out every day. Remember when they would gather the manna off of the ground? And the the instruction was simple. God provided sufficiently every single day for every family. And he said, Go out every day and each family gather what you need for your own household. But don't take extra, don't store it up, don't hoard it. You take what you need for your size household, and God will abundantly provide every single day. And you remember what happened. If they selfishly tried to store up excess and extra because they didn't want to go out the next morning or they just got greedy what would happen? It would quickly rot and it would breed worms and it would stink. And what lesson was God teaching them? Selfishness stinks. It's rotten and it will ruin your life. And no doubt God was conveying to them the lesson, the lesson that if we as God's people just all remain open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the love of the Lord towards one another God will always supply sufficiently for what everybody needs. And there'll be this beautiful taking care of one another, and we won't be wasting resources, he says there, verse 15, he who gathered much had nothing left over, he who gathered little had no lack. God just took care of everybody, as the family just took care of themselves. Now, verses 16 to 24, don't panic, I'm going to move through them quickly, and I always intended to do that. Really, and this is the main, sincerely, it's only one page of my notes left, sincerely. (laughs) I just want you to pay attention, because the predominant applications in the prior verses, 16 through 24 show us something very simple, one main point, that in the area of financial management, notice, as they process this plan of managing money and distributing money, I want you to simply notice that Paul clearly indicates in his last instructions here, stewardship in handling God's money. That's the principle. He's gonna say, do it in a way that's wise and ethical and prudent. Look what he says, verse 17. For not only had he, or excuse me, verse 16. Thanks be to God who put the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only, Titus, accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, Titus said, hey, Paul, I want to do this. The Corinthians should participate. They need to grow. He went to you of his own accord, verse 18. And we have sent him with the brother whose praise is in the gospel through all the churches. And not only that, but who also was, notice, chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord. This is what it's ultimately about, that the Lord's glorified himself showing a ready mind verse 20 look at this word i have it circled avoiding this that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is ministered by us providing honorable things not only in the sight of the lord but also in the sight of men take notice what paul's emphasizing is he's saying look when we manage these finances and the administration of god's resources he says, whether it was Titus, or, he said, Titus didn't go alone. There was another brother that we sent with him. In fact, he says it was a brother that had a reputable, you know, an honorable reputation among you. You chose him because you said, that guy's got integrity. Send him with Titus so we know everything is above reproach that it's blameless, that everything is above board, and it was a brother chosen who had a great reputation and a proven character. And he was appointed to travel with them. Paul says, verse 20, avoiding, notice that word, avoiding that they should blame us. What was Paul saying? The whole goal here is doing things above reproach with no shady activity so there will be no suspecting that something corrupt went on. When we were managing money and handling resources in the area of finances, he said we wanted to make sure that we avoided every opportunity in the sight of God and men to be blamed for doing something crooked. And look, folks, this is the reason why in one area the church should act very strictly like a business. This is why in our congregation we have very You know, extensive protocols of keeping checks and balances and how we do things and multiple people counting money and checks and balances and how we manage and look at things and different hands involved, making sure we protect not only from corruption happening with resources, but we even protect people's reputations so that people stay above reproach and there's no blaming of something going on. Paul says, verse 22, and we have sent them with our brother And we have often proved diligent in many things. How much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. And if anyone inquires about Titus, Paul says, I can vouch for him. He's my partner, my fellow worker concerning you. And if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the glory of Christ. So he says, look, we picked reputable men to do this. Men that are trusted, men with integrity, men who aren't sloppy men who appreciate organization and order and keeping things with well records in this important area of God's money. Paul says, verse 24, therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and are boasting on your behalf. Notice Paul says, show to them what? The proof of your love. What is Paul reminding them as he concludes? It's not foremost about money. It's about showing love. See, look, folks, important thing to always remember, God does not want you and I as his children to give because he needs money. God isn't asking us to give as his children to raise money. He asks us to give because he's raising children. And he's trying to raise us to be a little less selfish, a little more generous, a little more sharing and giving to see a bigger picture, and to reflect a father who is very loving and a savior who, though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sakes that we might become rich. Hey, this is the thing. In what ways could the Lord give you opportunity to show the proof of your love? Look for those avenues and pursue them. Let's stand together and let's pray.